When you know something big is coming, you get ready for it, don't you? That's what happened in Forbes recently. When we had all that rain, remember, it became obvious that a big flood uh, was headed for Forbes, and so people started getting ready for it. Some made plans uh, to go and stay with family or friends if they needed to evacuate, and so they got together bedding and clothing and uh, medical stuff. Uh, They gathered up their pets, and they headed off for a week or so. Others decided to stay put, and so they made sure they knew how to turn off the electricity and gas at home. They started putting their belongings, and especially electrical things, up on top of uh, tables and benches and cupboards. They collected together any important documents and mementos and photos and put them in waterproof containers so they wouldn't be ruined by the floodwaters. They started filling up sandbags and putting them around their properties because when something big's coming, that's just what you do, isn't it? You get ready for it. Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? Because it is going to be massively big. Bigger than the flood at Forbes. Bigger even than the flood that covers the entire earth. In today's passage, Peter wants to remind us that despite what the false teachers are saying, Jesus is coming. He hasn't come yet, and there's a good reason for that, but he is coming, and it's going to be big. And Peter wants us to be ready. And even more than that, he actually wants us to look forward to it with eager expectation. But let's start by looking at what the false teachers were saying and why Peter even has to remind us in the first place that Jesus is coming. Verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Now that sounds a lot like the start of chapter 2. We thought about that last week. Back there, Peter said that false teachers will come. Uh, There will be false teachers among you, sorry. Now here he's saying in the last days, scoffers will come. I think what's happening is that these scoffers are a kind of subset of the false teachers. And the particular lie that they're introducing is that Jesus won't come. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So these scoffers are laughing at the idea that Jesus will come again. They think it's ridiculous to believe that Jesus will come in power to judge the earth and to destroy the ungodly. They think it's ludicrous to believe that there is a day coming when the heavens will disappear with a roar and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. They think it's laughable. And the reason they think it's laughable is because they look around at the world around them and they think everything has just gone on, gone on unchanged since the beginning. Nothing like this has ever happened before, so why would it happen now, they're saying. But Peter says they're forgetting, they're deliberately forgetting one really important thing. The world hasn't gone on unchanged since the beginning. Something like this has happened before. In the beginning, God created the world. And shortly after that, uh, he destroyed the world with a flood. And he has said he'll do it again. Have a look at verse 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens and the earth existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. God brought the universe into existence, you see, and he did it by his own powerful and creative word and by water. And so the very universe that the scoffers think is unchanging, well, even it hasn't always been there because God created it. And the world that he made in the beginning, he also destroyed. 
And he did it in the same way he made it, by his word and by water. So have a look at verse 6. By these waters, now literally that says by these things, and so it's probably better to say by water and the word of God, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now Peter's talking there about the flood in Noah's time. And what he's saying is God spoke and created the world and a bit later God spoke again and he destroyed the world, bringing judgment on the ungodly, wicked people of Noah's day by a devastating worldwide flood. The scoffers, they think God has never intervened spectacularly and decisively in human history so as to judge the ungodly. But do you see Peter's point here? He has done it before. Remember? The flood. He has done it before and he'll do it again. Verse 7. By the same word, that is by God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The scoffers think the world will just go on, unchanged, in the same way, forever, but Peter's point is it's never been like that. That's not how the world works. God spoke and he created the world in the first place. God spoke and he destroyed the world with a flood and it turns out God has spoken again and he has promised a day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And when God speaks, it happens. Now sure, if you ignore the facts, it might look like the world just goes on unchanged, but God has spoken and he made the world and he has spoken and he destroyed the world and he has spoken again and he has promised that the world will come to a sudden and definite end. By God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will melt in the heat. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare, and that will happen on the day that Jesus comes in power to judge and destroy ungodly people. See, despite what the scoffers are saying, Peter wants to remind us that Jesus is coming, and he is coming in power, and it's going to be big. So the scoffers are wrong when they say Jesus isn't coming. But it turns out they're right about the fact that he hasn't come yet. So that's where Peter turns his attention next, to explaining why Jesus hasn't come yet. And it turns out there's actually a really good reason why Jesus hasn't come, and timing has nothing to do with it. Let's pick it up from verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That is a really ambiguous verse. And when you look at it closely, it seems to contradict itself. Lots of people think it means lots of different things. One of the most popular views is that Peter's saying, with the Lord, sorry, the Lord sees time differently than us. To us, it seems like a thousand years have gone past, but to God, it's just a day. And there's probably some truth in that. And maybe that is what Peter's saying here. I actually wonder, though, whether Peter's point is more that time or timing isn't the most important thing. I actually wonder whether Peter's point is that as far as God's concerned, Jesus could come in a day or he could come in a thousand years. It doesn't really matter. What does matter as far as God's concerned is people and saving people. See, what we think is slowness is actually God being patient because he wants people to repent before Jesus comes. So have a look at verse 9. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Just the other day, I heard a story about the bus system in London. A number of years ago, it seems, the buses started getting really bad reports and really bad press because they were late all the time. The bus company took the criticism on board and they decided to do something about it. They decided from now on they were going to be on time all the time. Now what happened was that almost the very next day there were queues of people stranded at bus stops all across the city because buses were just driving straight past so as to stick to the timetable. See, they got so caught up with being on time that they completely forgot what was most important. The whole reason they were there was to help people get around the city. I think what Peter's saying is that God hasn't lost sight of what's most important. Timing isn't the most important thing. Even judging people isn't the most important thing. What's most important to God is saving people, giving them a chance to repent. And so God's not going to rush the coming of Jesus if that means any more people are going to be destroyed than is necessary. Because remember, when Jesus comes, it's going to be big And it's going to be a terrible day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. And God doesn't want people to perish. He doesn't enjoy punishing people. He does it because he's just and holy and he does what's fair and right. But he doesn't take pleasure from it. It's not enjoyable for him. And so he's patiently holding off that day so that people can repent and so that they can be saved. That's why Jesus hasn't come yet. Now, just as a kind of aside at this point, do you see the implications of what Peter's saying here? God is patiently holding off the day of judgment because he doesn't want people to perish and he wants people to repent and be saved. So, if you invited someone to the men's DIY event last week or if you invited someone to the showcase this week and they said no, don't be discouraged. Be patient. Invite them again next time. Invite them to the carols in a few weeks. Maybe they'll come along. If you've been trying really hard all year to talk to people about Jesus in your sports team, if you've been trying to talk about the things we we think about at church with your workmates or your neighbours, but it's just been really hard work and chances have been few and far between, good on you. That's exactly what God wants you to be doing because he wants people to be saved. So keep at it. If you've been talking with your family your parents, about what you believe for years and years and years and it's making no difference and you can see no changes, please don't let that turn you off. It might take another 30 years. Persevere though because, do you see what Peter's saying? God is being patient so that people just like that can repent and be saved so they can receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus. God wants people to repent and be saved. And so he's graciously and patiently holding back Jesus' return. But friends, whatever you do, don't take God's patience for granted. Just because Jesus hasn't come yet doesn't change the fact that he is coming in power. And Peter reminds us of that in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Jesus hasn't come yet, 
but he is coming and he's coming in power to judge the earth. So I've got to ask you, really, have you repented? Have you changed your mind about Jesus and who he is? Do you believe that he is God's chosen king? Do you believe that he died and rose again? Do you believe that he is coming in power to judge the earth and to save his people? Have you put your trust in him? If you haven't, God's being patient with you now because he wants you to repent, but Jesus will come and he will judge the earth and he will destroy everyone who hasn't put their trust in him. But friends, if you have repented, then even though something massively big is coming, a day of judgment and destruction, Peter doesn't want you to be worried about it. He wants you to look forward to it. So have a look at verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you quake in fear? No, as you look forward to the day of God. The day of God's another way of talking about the day Jesus comes. And Peter says we should look forward to it. Which is a bit weird, right? Because everything he's just been saying suggests it's going to be a terrible day. A day of judgment and destruction. Which is what he goes on to say. You ought to look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Doesn't really sound like something to look forward to, does it? That's because we haven't got the whole picture yet. Have a look at verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. See, on the day Jesus comes, the present heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. This earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Ungodly men will be judged and destroyed. But also on the day Jesus comes, he'll make a new heaven and a new earth. And that'll be the home of righteousness. Now that's starting to sound like something to look forward to, isn't it? Because we live in a world where wrong often prevails and prospers. We live in a world where Christians are often persecuted for obeying God while evil people enjoy the rewards of their sin. We live in a world where innocent lives are ripped from their mother's wombs, where God's, lies, uh, where God's laws are flaunted and mocked. But on the day Jesus comes, all that will be done away with. He will make a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain there. Sin will have no place there and we will be with Jesus. And he'll be with us. And he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's how intimate our relationship with him will be. Now that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Absolutely it is. And if you really are looking forward to Jesus coming, well, that's going to have very real implications for what you do now. Because inevitably, what you're looking forward to, it shapes how you live. We've had a few birthdays in our home recently. And Jemima, in particular, when she has a birthday coming up, she gets really excited about it and she really looks forward to it. She starts counting down how many sleeps there are to go. She makes a list of who she wants to invite along. She makes a list of what presents she hopes to get. She looks through the Women's Weekly cookbook and she picks out her cake. This year she designed and made her own invitations. She even planned all the games we were going to play at the party. See, Jemima, she so looks forward to her birthday that it shapes what she thinks about and what she spends her time doing, what she does, what she talks about in the weeks leading up to it. Friends, if we're looking forward to Jesus coming, we should be like that. 
So how should looking forward to Jesus coming shape what we do now? Have a look again at verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. See, if we're looking forward to Jesus coming, our lives should be holy. In other words, they should be different to the people around us. And they should be godly. We should be living as productive and effective servants of Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Well, in one sense, that's what we've been thinking about for the last three or four weeks. But in this chapter in particular, Peter goes to great pains to make sure that we know that when Jesus comes, all the stuff that we think is so valuable, it's just going to be destroyed. And so maybe one way we live different and godly lives while we wait for him to come is to not get caught up in stuff. And so on a practical level, looking forward to Jesus coming, well, maybe that's going to shape how you use your money. So are you looking forward to Jesus coming? If you are, then I'm sure you're using your money on things that will last. You're probably giving money to school scripture. Maybe you've just given to a missionary recently. Perhaps you gave a donation to the greatest journey last month. Maybe this morning you're even sitting here looking forward to Jesus coming and thinking that you want to give money to the work of young life. If you're looking forward to Jesus coming, I'm sure you're not using all your money just to buy stuff that's going to burn, are you? Friends, if we're looking forward to Jesus coming, then we're looking forward to being with him in the home of righteousness. So, verse 14, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found blameless, spotless, and at peace with him. If we're looking forward to being with Jesus in the home of righteousness, then one thing that's going to mean is we'll start practicing righteousness now. We'll make every effort to be blameless. And so we won't get involved in gossip and we won't talk about people behind their backs and we won't mouth empty boastful words, we'll let our yes be yes and our no be no. We'll make every effort to be above reproach in our financial dealings. We'll make sure there's not even a hint of dishonesty on our tax return. We'll we'll declare that little bit of money we got on the side. We'll tell Centrelink when our income changes. And we'll make every effort to be spotless. And so maybe... Ladies, that means you won't indulge in that little bit of flirting. You won't wear that outfit that reveals a bit too much. Men, we'll guard against having eyes full of adultery. We'll make sure that we're not slaves of depravity like the false teachers we thought about last week. Because if we are looking forward to Jesus coming, then we'll make every effort to be blameless and spotless. But you know what? In the end, you can try as hard as you want to be holy and godly. You can try all you like to be spotless and blameless. You can try anything you want to get ready for that that day. But the only way to be really prepared, the only way to really look forward to Jesus coming is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's what Peter's been saying right the way through this letter. And it's what he comes back to right at the end. Have a look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Friends, it's only by knowing Jesus that we can be ready for him to come. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can really be holy and godly. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can be spotless and blameless and at peace with him. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can be confident on the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can escape the corruption in the world. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can participate in the divine nature. 
It's only by knowing Jesus that we can receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. It's only by knowing Jesus that we can really look forward to him coming. Because Jesus is coming as the Lord and the judge and he is coming to destroy ungodly people. But he's also coming as our saviour. And his patience means salvation. And in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. The home of righteousness. Now that is something to look forward to. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder that Jesus is coming. And we thank you for the certainty that we can have that that is true. Father, help us to wait well as we look forward to that day. The day when we will be with you and your son in the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And so, Father, help us now to live holy and godly lives. Help us to make every effort to be blameless and spotless. But, Father, above all, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.